Welcome to another exciting episode of the College Tribe Podcast, a show about tech, music, and our experiences as college students. On this podcast, we'll discuss things we're trying out, our hobbies and interests, and what's going on in our lives. I'm joined today, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Joe Dernal. Hello there, Joe. Hey, everybody. So we made it. We made it to episode 10. They said that we would never get this far, but here we go. Here we are. We're a whole, whole 10 episodes old. Yes. My question to you, Joe, is do you remember turning 10? 10 years old? Yeah, the best the best age of all because you can get to double digits pretty easily. Getting to triple digits is a bit of an accomplishment like that doesn't ever happen. So this is the one time you're going to enjoy getting an extra digit added to your age. That's a great point. I think, you know, now that you're talking, I think I do remember turning 10 because I was baptized on my 10th birthday. Hey, that's great. Good time to do it. Yeah, right. I'll always remember it. Yeah, it was a good it was a good time. I don't think much really happened on my 10th birthday, but I can barely remember the sort of birthday party that took place. I remember thinking I was all cool because, oh, I'm 10 and I, I know everything now that I'm just so old. And, you know, I'm sure that I won't get any smarter, have any more knowledge over time. We all know how that worked out. Mm-hmm. But that was the age I think I started to have real lasting memories because when you're seven or eight, I don't really remember much from there, if hardly anything. So that's the age when you start to sort of become your own person and, and get your hob- own hobbies and interests going. And you, and in my case, I thought I was so cool because I'd made it that far. 100%. Here's to 100 more episodes. Yeah, we got this. Nervous laughter. <laughs> so this week, we're not going to be talking about the election. Instead, we're going to be talking about something much, much happier, which is Wikipedia. So during the, this fine, fine election season, I was wondering things about past elections. And so I was asking my family about them, and my family's response was largely, I don't really remember what happened in past elections, so look it up. Mm-hmm. And Wikipedia is very useful because it has tons of spreadsheets and graphs. It says, here is the person that was president from this year to this year. Here was the decisions they make. Here's where their party. Here's their vice president. Here's what they did. Just a nice spreadsheet, and you can go to Wikipedia and learn so much. You can learn almost anything you want. I was reading an interesting article about game theory, not the YouTube channel, but game theory, just literally the study of kind of psychology and human psychology and how humans work together or don't work together very well so if you want to learn about anything you can go to wikipedia and of course the main argument against it is it's not that trustworthy but i would say that with the hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of editors that are on wikipedia i have personally not found anything that cannot easily be backed up by common sense and other sources and it's just a great centralized resource for knowledge and you can follow the links to other articles to learn more about things as well well, see, I don't find myself using Wikipedia that much, and when I do, I'm very skeptical, only because I've been taught to be skeptical by professors and by teachers that say, hey, don't look up stuff on Wikipedia because it's not always trustworthy. So maybe it's just like being conditioned, like classically conditioned into me that I shouldn't trust Wikipedia, but I just don't use it. I just don't use it because of that. I usually just use Google or like third-party websites or or I, I don't know, third party, but just like other websites that have information. So not not that it actually is trustworthy or untrustworthy, because I don't know, but just that, you know, I don't trust it because I've been taught not to trust it. Yeah, that's a really fair point, because if I was a teacher, I wouldn't want my students to use Wikipedia, not because I thought the information would be wrong, but because it would be too easy, because someone would have already done all of the work of taking all of the sources and citing them and putting them all together in one place and making it a nice, coherent set of paragraphs. 
So I would think it was too easy and the students can't just go go there and, and cheat and get all the sources in one place. I would make them actually look for their own information. But I think that it is, on the whole, a fairly reputable source. And I'm sure you can point to, you like, listeners, I'm sure you can go and edit it and make it say whatever you want. And that's great. Please don't do that. <laughs> but for my purposes, Wikipedia has been a really good place to find articles on things that you can't really find a lot of good information about. Like, good luck finding a, a good game theory article on the internet anyway. Yeah, no, no copyright here. We're not, we're not uh, trying to get sued by game theory. <laughs> no, we're really not. Do you ever watch food theory, though? I was watching their McDonald's videos today about how McDonald's is a real estate empire. Okay, so I I know that that happened, but I don't like I I, I thought that it was kind of a joke, so I didn't follow through with looking at it. But I, if it is a thing, I'll look it up. I mean, do they have good videos? Okay, I've only watched one, so I can't give you the definitive review on food theory. All I can say is that I enjoyed their McDonald's videos, and you're getting well, their McDonald's video called Food Theory. McDonald's is not a restaurant, which was published four days ago. So just based on that, it's a really good, really good one. Mm-hmm. That was good because I th- have you ever heard of this whole conspiracy theory, Joe, that McDonald's is making most of their money from the real estate they own and a very little amount from the actual burgers and fries that are sold? So I've sort of heard that idea, but also that was kind of reinforced when I saw the founder. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Because his big thing was, okay, we will buy the land and then lease it to the franchisees or the people who ran the franchises. So, like, I know that it was a big deal, but I didn't know that... I don't know how big of a deal it is, I guess. That movie made me hate Ray Kroc so much because mm-hmm. he was he was shown to be smart, but he was shown to be such a jerk. There was a point when he was eating dinner with his wife and he said, I want a divorce. And it was after that point, I was like, all right, Ray Kroc, you're dead to me. I was thinking you were kind of a savvy businessman, but at this point, you've been such a jerk that I hope that you are run over by a bus in the next scene because it's just getting bad. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, I can't say I'm not with you, though. Yeah, he is... Uh... He is a vicious businessman. <laughs> I, I mean, I love that movie only because I like Ron Swanson in it. Well, he doesn't play Ron Swanson, but uh, Nick Offerman, I think, is his name, uh, is in that movie, and I like that a lot. Who you can only see as Ron Swanson because that's the main thing that he's known for. <laughs> exactly. It's like it's like Dwight from The Office. He'll never not be Dwight to me. Same thing for most Avengers. You can bring them to other movies, but they're always going to remind you of their original giant, giant role. 100%. 100%. And spoilers for the for the video. It turned out that McDonald's profit is actually somewhat evenly split. It was like 49% food and 51% real estate. But the fact that the real estate is a safe investment and the fact that they can get a lot of tax breaks and the fact that the franchisees pay rent to spoil the video, go watch it and enjoy the cool animations and After Effects skills that all the people on that channel have if you want to watch it for yourself. But yeah, spoiler alert, McDonald's is a really safe business to be in because land the value always goes up no matter what happens. You can't, even if people don't want burgers and fries starting right now, they still have millions and billions of dollars worth of land that they can turn around no problem. Well, Zachary, you were talking about past elections. And speaking of the past, uh, (laughs) flea markets are one of my favorite things to go to. Um, some people kind of think that they're, I don't know, grungy or dirty or whatever, but they're one of my favorite traditions to do with my family. We went this past weekend and I got these, um, these IU quote unquote vintage IU glasses. <laughs> and and I, I, I hesitate using that word cause they're probably from like, I don't know, the late nineties, maybe, maybe early two. I don't know, but they're very cool. I like them a lot. I got them for cheap. It was a lot of fun. You know, that that's my opinion. That's how I feel about flea markets. I like them a lot, mostly because of the family tradition that they 
hold in my mind. But, you know, I just want to talk about that a little bit with you. I mean, what is your opinion about flea markets? So I've only been to a couple. I think that there's a flea market close to where the farmer's market is usually held. Is that sound somewhat right? I think so. I think there's a couple in here in town, but I'm not sure where where they all are. I've been to a couple on vacation as well. I'm of the, the mindset of I definitely like to look, although I generally am not tempted tempted to buy anything per se. But it is interesting to see and think about, you know, that here's all this interesting furniture. Here's all these interesting glass kittens or random things that you might find. And, you know, there's, there's all a story story here. In a way, they're, they're a little bit sad because you, you think, you know, oh, okay, all the, all the people that spent all their lives collecting all these possessions and then all these possessions just ended up here. And to dust, to dust you will return. Mm, I'm I'm with you. That my sister, while we were up there, found this record, and she liked the record, but she loved the fact that there was a letter that someone had written to someone inside of it. I think when they were giving it to the person, they left the letter inside for them to find, and like she was super excited to read the letter because I don't know, that's like somebody else's history that they just like put up for sale, you know. So I'm with you there. Was it a cool love letter, or was it like? Here's your nice receipt for the for the record. <laughs> so she didn't read it in the store. I don't know if she read it when we got home, but but the fact that it was a love like lovey dovey Frank Sinatra album, <laughs> I says a lot to me. So yeah, you don't just give that one to your best bro. You gotta really select who you want to give the lovey dovey Frank Sinatra album to. Exactly, exactly. Going to flea markets kind of reminds me of garage selling, which is something that we've historically done in the olden days before 2020. We would often garage sale on Saturdays as a family. We did even did it with my grandparents a little bit growing up. And that was the same thing where it was 99% of the stuff you found wasn't interesting, but that 1% of cool stuff is is extremely cool. So a lot of the boppets that I have today, which I collected them for a while, I don't know why they're not that useful to have per se. <laughs> That's awesome. But you know, the classic toy, bop it, twist it. There are so many boppet units. There is the original one that everyone knows, then there's the old version of that, then there are smaller inversions, larger versions, and there's so many games made by the Boppet Company, it's crazy. Wow. Who knows, it might be 20 or $30 to buy that from Target, but you can get a slightly beat up, to be fair, but you know, you can get a 99 cent Boppet and play with that and have, have fun on, as a, a little kid in your room, play with that for a long time. There was one time, it makes me so sad, there was one garage show we went to with a NES that we didn't end up buying and had a bunch of games, and I still think fondly on that day mm. that it, it would have been nice to, to buy that nest because if you can get really lucky and find a family who the kids aren't playing video games maybe the kids have moved away something like that if you can find maybe n64s or snes's or different games and game consoles that you can get them for a ridiculously low price like 40 dollars for this antique game console it's hard to find okay here you go so it although it takes a lot of time you can definitely find some good deals yeah, we, we used to garage sale a lot more than we do now, but now it's mostly flea markets. But but I'm totally with you. The The vast majority of stuff that I see there is not stuff that I want. But I f- it's so fun to me to just look through everything, to like sift through all the junk and find stuff that I want. For instance, I have five different Polaroid cameras. Wow. So one of which I bought new. One was given to me out of somebody's closet. And then the other three have been just found at flea markets or garage sales. Like that's one of the most fun parts of going to a flea market or going to a garage sale is like, okay, I'm looking for blank. In my case, it's Polaroid stuff, like old IU stuff, music stuff, stuff like that. And then like, you know, you look through, you know, possibly 50 plus booths of stuff in a flea market or, 
maybe 10 or so garage sales and you don't find anything. And then you go to that last one and you're like, oh my gosh, like this is the coolest thing. And, and, and it also, it's all about what interests you, you know, it's, I don't know, that stuff is super, super cool. So for the Polaroid cameras you found, I assume you're probably finding those from the era back when they were actually used and not the era where we've looped around and they're cool again. So you're getting like the probably some of the original ones from the original batches before everyone was was looking looking to buy them. Okay, so I've got a one from the 60s, which I can't even use because I don't know if they make foam for it anymore. Then I've got, I would say, two from the 80s, one from the 90s, and then one that I bought new. My brother got a camera like that as well. And I find those to be, I get why they're fun. I find them to be kind of stressful because it takes you back to the olden days where you had to take only one shot and whatever you got, you got, and you couldn't just take pictures over and over and over again because you had limited film and limited resources to work with. And you also can't get a great look at what you're taking in the first place. But of course, that's the fun of it, because as Gen Zers or whatever you want to call us, <laughs> we're used to taking lots and lots of phone pictures and getting just right. And here's this filter and, you know, crop it here and move it here and put this here. And this is a definitely more honest look because it's somewhat going to be somewhat low quality. You get what you get. Here's this authentic moment. And, you know, I saw a trend that maybe this isn't as much of a trend as I think it is. But people who will instead of putting pictures on Instagram, they will put pictures of Polaroid pictures on Instagram, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So it's like, here is me at this event, and here's a picture of me with friends at this event. Only the picture of friends at this event is me holding up the Polaroid. It's very interesting. It's not what I would choose to do, per se. As a wise man once said, everything that's old is new again. Mm -hmm. I've done that. But some of my favorite pictures that I've ever taken are Polaroid pictures, which is really cool, but also somewhat unfortunate because you can't share them as easily. This is my philosophy. Now, when you buy film that is close to $20 for a pack of eight pictures, you are careful with what you take. That you, 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 the pictures you take are pictures you really want to take. Yeah, don't mess that up. Yeah, because when you, you break it down, it's like, okay, this is costing me over $2 a picture. Um, so, you know, I, I for instance, uh, a group of friends and I went camping um, on Friday and we like I took a picture because that was something that I really wanted to take a picture of um, or when IU beat Penn State the other uh, what three weeks ago now like I took a picture I took two pictures that night really because I was just so excited it's a four dollar moment exactly right um, but no I mean but my philosophy is even if it's a bad picture like say somebody's face is overexposed or you can't see somebody or it's too dark or anything like that you still know you still know why you took the picture, where you took the picture, who was in it, and and the emotions that are associated with it. So to me, even a bad picture is still a memory. Not for the overexposed part, but for the part concerning it's too dark or this person's too far away or, you know, this person is doing this and you don't want them to, etc. That's what really happened. So you're accurately explaining what really happened. You don't get to do it over. It's just here is a captured moment in time. Camera artifacts aside, it might have been too dark. This person might have been making a weird face and you can't see this person because they're too far away and behind this wall. But that's what really happened. And so you're recapturing what it actually is. Exactly, exactly. And that's that's just reality. And I love that. Um, I, I love to be able to capture like what is actually happening and not what I would like to happen. But but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm literally looking at a picture right now on my wall of my grandpa and my sister together and it's overexposed. I mean, it just is. I mean, there's too much light on their face, and they're kind of weird spots in the in the frame. But 
for as long as that Polaroid is around, I'm not going to care if it's overexposed. I mean, it's one of my favorite pictures that I've taken, and it's up on my wall, even though it's overexposed and they're in kind of a, like, do you, I mean, it's it's sort of messed up, but it's still a memory, and I still know why I took it and who's in it and the situations and like the emotions that are associated with it. So, to me, even a bad picture is still a good memory. It sort of reminds me of the aspect of live music where what happens happens. And then we're going to record record this and then it happens and then we're going to give it out on Spotify and CD and everything else. As opposed to the more pop way of doing it where, okay, we're going to quantize all the drums. We're going to auto-tune everything. We're going to do lots and lots of takes and combine this word with this word because that was good on take one and that was good on take two. And I think people are wanting, more as more and more time goes on, they're saying we want less and less of this auto-tuned reality and we want more and more of this authentic reality. So even if you hit this wrong note on the solo okay that's what actually happened let's listen to it back and and enjoy and just think about that night when we were we were at the concert and you sang the wrong note 100 percent, 100 percent. there's a there's a ben rector song called i believe old friends and there's a there's like a pop version of it that it's like the radio version but he has an acoustic version in which at the end of the song and what they could have easily cut it but he they left it in because it's real he he says something like like he finishes the song and then he's like, like it's over, man, or or something like like <laughs> something along those lines, something ad libbed, but but they left it in because it's real and like that was what he was actually feeling when the song was over. So, and I love that version. I love to like I say that when I'm listening to it and like I sing it like it's any other lyric. So, I think you're totally right. As time goes on, we sort of long for this this authentic aesthetic to our. Not only our media, but our, our art, too. In a perfect world, albums would include as many takes as possible, which some albums do. There's a really great fusion jazz band I've been listening to recently called Snarky Puppy. And one of their songs called Lingus, which is arguably one of their best songs, has this insane synth solo section. And that album was recorded live, but it was recorded lots and lots of times over, I think it was three or four days. And although only one of them made it to the album, you can go on YouTube and search for the alternate takes of those songs. And while I agree with their decisions, and I think the other takes aren't quite as good for a variety of reasons, it's still, well, this actually happened, and if you like the band, why don't you sort of decide which version of the song was the best? Did you like night one? Did you like night two? Maybe the solo was good on night three, but there was a really interesting drum part on night two. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, and had they not released any of that to the public, you just wouldn't have known, and you just only have one version to look to. So I'm, there's a group of people out there that's like, you know, the night two solo is the best. And then there's a group out here that's no, night one was better because it had more pentatonic scales in it. Mm. And that just allows us to get a discussion going. And same thing, I love it when artists release instrumental versions. Usually they will release acapellas online, but as far as more mainstream, a lot of times artists will release instrumentals and the regular ones. And that is really good as well because that gives you the space to more appreciate the production and more fully listen to the music, if the music is good enough to warrant it, of course. But, you know, not only do you get to sing along, but for more interesting production songs. And speaking of music, one thing you can often find at flea markets or garage sales if you're extremely lucky is records, which I am a sucker and in the past have spent way too much money buying new records, which I generally don't recommend you do. Although I do have three of them behind me on the wall, which look good when I'm on online classes and everything. It's kind of a nice backdrop. I have three albums by Tycho, which is an amazing, he's an amazing artist. And you can often find good deals at, at these sorts of places where, it's, especially half price books is a good place for it because you can get records for in maybe a quarter or maybe a couple of dollars or maybe $5, but it's not going to be a, a $55 kind of situation. You can, you can get somewhat cheap music. 
and then you you own that record forever now and you don't have to to worry about the music is going to go away over time or you'll lose access to it yep yep and it, it also sort of depends on what music it is so like my again my sister uh found this beatles record and it was $13 for this Beatle record. It had a lot of their like famous songs on it, so that's why it was so much, but it was worth it to her, so she bought it. But if you you know find sort of more obscure uh, artists that you like, usually you can get them for like, yeah, like 50 cents, a dollar, two dollars, something like that. Um, and then like you said, you, you physically own that music and you can play it whenever you want to. And not that places like Spotify are bad, but you don't own that music. You're kind of... You're kind of renting that music. If Spotify decides to remove artists you really like or if there's problems with copyright or distribution or anything, that's the appeal of records. You own this and no one can take it away from you now. It's yours. Yep. So tonight we've got a very large topic, which is the role that music plays in our lives. And that's going to be quite a lot to talk about. So let's get started with how we find new music and what our workflows and processes are for introducing both old and new music into the cycle. Joe, what's your system? Okay, so number one, I use Spotify and Spotify does this Discover Weekly thing. And I don't always listen to it, but when I need to find some new music, that's where I'll go. Like any other algorithm, they pay attention to what you do and hope that the past predicts the future. And so they'll recommend you songs similarly to what you've been listening to. So um, I found some of my favorite songs and artists on there just based on purely what Spotify knows about me and my music tastes. And so, yeah, that's that's generally how I find new music. Although I'll hear songs that my friends play and I'm like, oh, that's a great song. This is awesome. Send this to me, right? I'm looking at my Spotify account and my Spotify friends, and I'm currently getting most of my music from the artists I follow, which I follow 106 currently. I look at Discover Weekly occasionally, but it's somewhat rare. I instead usually will be looking at Release Radar, which is something that Spotify will take all the artists you follow, and when running out of songs from artists you follow, will add a few more algorithmic recommendations on the end. Every Friday, the playlist will be automatically updated to reflect anything new from the artists that you follow. You don't have to be checking all the time. You, the new music will come to you. I wish it did update more often, in fairness, but you know, every Friday is this is the schedule I'm on. That removes something I did when I was really young, which for artists I really like, I would just periodically check them, which is a super inefficient way to go. But if I, for artists I like, I just go to the page and is there anything new? No. Okay. Next artist. Anything new? No. This system is much better. The new music comes to me. Yeah, that's awesome. And that yeah, like they're very good about you know delivering music to you that they think that you'll like, which is awesome. It's really, really great to be able to like just get on and be like, oh, I want to listen to this or this or like they're also really good about if you like a certain artist or a certain album or a certain song, you can make a radio out of that and they'll play songs specifically like that song, yes. which I've done a couple of times, which is awesome. It's very good about showing you similar songs. Yeah, I'm looking through right now. I don't find all the algorithmic plays to be that useful because it'll be, you know, your daily drive with here's some random news podcast. I don't find that to be terribly useful. Mm. But some of the things like time capsule on repeat and repeat rewind and family mix, all of these things are taking, again, like you said, the helping the past predicts the future. It's really cool when it creates playlists and it creates charts and graphs that everyone shares on Instagram once a year. For this one, it's going to be 2020 year year in review. Here's the artist you listen to the most. Here's how many hours you played. Here is what songs you liked, here's what songs you didn't like. And it will give you lots of interesting statistics, but you can't look at them all the time, I don't think, but there's a window every year where you can 
go in there and check stuff out. Those are the things I like about Spotify. I do have some complaints about it in general, but I will compliment them on their ability to kind of surprise me with the statistics that come up at the end of the year. Yeah, I, I always, that's one of my favorite parts of like the New Year's season is just like to look at how many minutes I listen to, which usually it's over 100,000, which is awesome um, because I listen to music when I go to sleep. But but yeah, I always I always love to, to look at like what I, my favorite artist was or like what song I listen to the most or stuff like that. Another very fun thing I love about Spotify specifically is how much customization you get to have with like your playlists and like what you want to do. And I'm not sure how Apple Music works exactly, but like I just I love being able to customize exactly what I want my like public playlists to look like, if that makes sense. Yes, I do know exactly what you mean. I don't think I have any public playlists right now. <laughs> I need to make some better ones. Truthfully, the ones I have are not very good to share per se they're just random random weirdness that that's exactly tailored for me that no one else would really like that much that being said i think i have some decent playlists in my library so i have uh, my halloween one i'm fairly proud of because i've spent some time on that my christmas one is christmas songs that i certainly like and other people might like i have a good dead Mm -hmm. mouse mix that is pretty awesome i will say and other than that, a lot of times I'm just leeching off of the like the lo-fi hip-hop music with the studying anime girl that everyone in the entire world is probably following right now. There's million, there's quite literally 4 million followers, 4.3 million followers for this wow. playlist. So that's the classic chilled cow lo-fi that I w- will sometimes listen to. And then, of course, I have playlists for whatever worship songs I'm working on. I have a playlist creatively called Currently Listening, which is where I'm constantly moving artists in and out for sort of what's on the radar this week. That's just the newer stuff to listen to. Then yeah. I have so I have songs I like to repeat. I just you know nothing too groundbreaking here, but that's my system. Cool. So to sort of get a time capsule of what I was listening to at a certain time in my life, I have started to make playlists based on uh, where I'm living. So last year I lived at CSF, but I lived in room two hundred five. So I have a playlist uh, called two hundred five, where all year I just if I was just if I was listening to a song a lot, I would just put it in there. If I heard, if I was watching a movie that had a song, put it in there. If I, you know, just heard a song that meant something to me that year for a specific reason, I just put it in there. For example, I listened, I binged Lawrence, uh, the band, which is a great band. You should definitely listen to them if you haven't. Very funky and soulful. All of their songs are at the beginning of this because at the beginning of the year last year, I just listened to all of their songs. The next is like Post Malone because that that his new album came out last year and I just loved it. Um, and then from there, it's just like random songs that I really liked at the time. And so like the fun part now is that I get to just put this playlist on and I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember when I heard this song or like what I put it in there for, uh, stuff like that. And then so I'm doing the same this year. Now I'm in room 204. And so I have a 204 playlist in which I'm just... So like the first song uh, is like Under Pressure by Logic because at the beginning of the year I was kind of getting back into him and like the immediate next song is a country song by Waylon Jennings. So like there's no formula, there's no genre specifically that I'm trying to stick to. It's just I'm listening to this right now and so I want to put this in here. And so then later on it's sort of like this picture of what I was listening to at the time. So that when you're 45 and married with seven kids you can remember your good old days in, in your room with your your various music choices back then exactly exactly and and my sister even does it to where she does one for each month of the year which is insanity to me wow yeah right so she's been doing it for maybe a year or two now but yeah it's like i think she's yeah she's got a ton of them which that's a more detailed look but 
I don't need that much detail personally, so I'm good. I think I'm at the other end of the spectrum because all of the playlists I have serve a purpose, and if a playlist has clearly not served a purpose for a while, it will be deleted and goodbye to that playlist. But I do like that idea. If I was more creative, I would probably agree with you in saying that. Here's my 2020 good songs. Here's my IE-related good songs. Here's all that stuff. There you go. I kind of can look back on... There's a lot of family-owned CDs that I listened to a lot when I was a lot younger and had a CD player in my room. Those are sort of a time capsule in themselves if I want to go back and listen to those. Mm -hmm. And then sort of the middle school phase, I listened to tons of video game music. So if I go to a music folder on my computer, which currently has 50 albums in it, all of those are video video game. There's a lot, tons and tons of video game music. There's Minecraft, Mario Kart, Super Mario Bros. in general. There is Shovel Knight. There's just lots of lots of video game music, which I would put on my phone to listen to. And once I learned about Spotify, I can still remember the day that my dad was explaining to me how Spotify worked because he was a bit of an early adopter. I, do you remember in the really olden days when here was their business model? So their business model was you had it for free on the computer and you had it free on the computer with ads. If you wanted to have it on your phone slash with no ads, both those things you had to pay the subscription fee no i remember that i remember that so it was obviously my uncle explained it like this he was he's saying well you can when you get on your computer you can listen to music but of course you're not going to take your computer running or in the car or you know it's just not gonna happen mm -hmm. you won't gotta give money if you want to listen to it and now i was surprised to learn in more recent years that they have gotten rid of that business model probably because more people have phones and computers by a factor of 35 Mm -hmm. now the business model is you can listen anywhere you want it, you will just be pushed with aggressive ads that mostly say upgrade to spotify premium maybe they're <laughs> not even that good of ads other than that but i think that's that's the main idea and that's why most people pay are paying for it and maybe you yeah. only get skips and there's some other things in there but anyway that's just an interesting blast from the past that i sometimes think about Mm -hmm. The way we play music when we're studying out in the common space in our house is like it's a free account and so it's like literally an ad every three or two or three songs oh, no. it's the same ad Please. it's so bad i You're better than this it's so bad it's so bad i'm gonna return to my story with my dad so he was explaining spotify to me i my mind was blown because of course i knew i of course knew about youtube and everything and maybe that's where, where i was listening to music occasionally because it was literally everything obviously youtube's not exactly the best for music because the compression is not good at all and it's not really designed for you to have playlists in that respect. So he was showing me that for all practical purposes, all the music you could reasonably want to listen to is on Spotify. And my mind was so blown because before I'd been kind of frustrated with the limitations of CDs. I was wanting to burn CDs with certain songs in a custom order because I was thinking, all right, let me listen to this song first, this song first, mm -hmm. maybe this song again, this song last for the grand finale. And then, you know, I was running out of space and yeah. everything. and I, I just couldn't get my music collection to be the way I wanted to. This advent of both having my first ipod with the click wheel where i could arrange the video game music and everything i could arrange that literally any way i wanted to and then spot here comes spotify and i can arrange things once again any way i want to i can have the same song 45 times in a row and this song and then this another obscure song and this popular song you can yep. just have it exactly how you want to which you couldn't do with cds you only had you could try to burn your own, which sort of worked and sort of didn't work. But I was so happy that here's this technology. I was actively frustrated with it growing up. And then I was happy to more in recent years. Here's my technology that will let me let me choose the order. Yeah. And that's, again, like just the customizability and the ease of customizability, especially that make it so appealing to all the people that use it. Because I love to be able to have everything exactly like I want playlists that serve a purpose and playlists that don't like and it's specific to each person so somebody 
could just use it to use it and not care what it looked like. And somebody could like be really meticulous about it. And that's the beauty of, of the customizability of it. And I do have a couple of complaints with Spotify, probably just because I'm piggy. One is that there are, are not any easily accessible play counts. So I'd be curious to know how many times I've listened to a certain song, which you just can't really do. Mm-hmm. Just sad. Because that's a good thing that although iTunes has many flaws and oftentimes it doesn't work, it's great because you can come in and, okay, I played this song 55 times. I played this song 45 times. That was something cool with the old iPods. You could sort by here's the, what I haven't listened to a lot, which you might want if you're looking for something new, or here's what I really like. So that was just a quick a quick thing that I don't have anymore. Another way is that you don't have smart playlists. That's another thing that iTunes had. So you could say, show me songs by this artist and that I've played in the last week. You could get really granular and decide exactly how you wanted playlists to be. And those playlists would just act as filters to show you your music collection in different ways. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, Spotify doesn't have that. It would be interesting if it was show me anything that I have in my library, but that I haven't played more than 10 times and haven't played this month. So it could just kind of be actively bringing you things that you liked, but haven't listened to in a long time. So it'd be cool if there were smart playlists. Spotify, if you're listening, please, please make them. My last complaint is that there's no way to completely reset the algorithm. Granted, there isn't a way for this on YouTube either. But because I, for so many years, listened to tons of video game music and remixes of video game music, nowadays when I don't really listen to that any of that anymore, the suggestions are still messed up from years ago, and it's still suggesting all sorts of video game music. And there's no way, short of never listening to anything for years and years, so I'm not sure how that works, there's no way to say, wipe the slate clean, and only recommend me things based on my activity going forward. So that could, I feel, be handled a little better. But I think the all of these things are designed to give more control to Spotify and less control over the user, which is a sinister pattern, but welcome to 2020. Yeah, I, I'm with you. So for a very long time, I listened to a lot of Christian music, which is not a bad thing. Yes. And then, But I kept getting recommendations for, for that. And I still do. But I, I mean, that's obviously not a bad thing to have. Your point is that you want to get recommendations from non-Christian sources, but it's sort of ruining your recommendation algorithm. Exactly, exactly. So it's not a it's not a bad problem to have. There's worse problems to have, but um, you know, it's it's definitely a little bit irritating because it's like, okay, I don't want to listen to this like, you know, cover of how great they are art by like some weird music group in Cincinnati, Ohio. Like, it's just like, I don't, that's not what I want to listen to right now. So I'm with you. Yeah. It's really creepy when you start to notice that computers in the old days were designed for control for the users and are less and less over time designed with control of the users in mind, which most of my thoughts with Spotify are related to that in some way. 100%. And finally, Spotify has been taking more and more liberties when it comes to adding podcasts to the service. Spotify Please don't listen to this podcast on Spotify. I don't even think you can. The reason I recommend against listening to Spotify podcasts is just in the interest of the user. Their speed controls are very lacking. Their skipping controls are very lacking. It was clearly not designed with podcasts in mind. It's clearly designed with music in mind, which it does well. But the podcasts were just sort of tacked on later. Please use a good podcast app like Overcast, which is the best app there is for podcasts, or Apple Podcasts or anything like that. So I would not recommend that. But more and more, they've been spending money and time collecting podcasts, especially exclusive ones. Or if I don't know if you've heard Joe, but the Joe Rogan Experience, which is one of the strangest podcasts there is, but it's also a decent interview <laughs> show and it's very popular, has been taken exclusively to Spotify. Of course, there's all this drama around that. But all you need to know is that it's been taken exclusively to Spotify. You can no longer download it in the regular iTunes directory or anywhere else. You can only get this in the closed walled garden that is Spotify. So the idea is that the audience members would be willing to pay extras to Spotify to get not only a good bit of music, but to get the podcast. And not only that, 
but Spotify has financial incentives to get you to listen to more podcasts because then they're not paying the artists for anything. Any moment you're listening to podcasts, you're listening to basically publicly available free content is time that you're not listening to a song and then they don't have to give the artist 0.001 cents for you listening, which could add up over time. Mm, that's an interesting point. I didn't think about that. No, but I, I did hear about him going to, to Spotify. I'm not, a, I don't listen to his show, but I know it's very big. I know that they also did that with a with a show that I like a lot called Dissect. So he, Dissect is about going in depth to music. And so it. I think one season he went into Kanye West's my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, and so he looks at the music, but also the lyrics. I think he primarily does rap music, but I think he also does some other things. You should check him out. But he used to be everywhere, and then he went exclusively to uh, Spotify, which is not a big deal because I have Spotify. However, if you are a user of Apple Podcasts or something like Overcast, and you think that that's better, then it's sort of unfortunate because you can't you can't get it anywhere else. I don't want these two things in my life ever to mix. I want YouTube to be this locked box with only videos. I want Spotify to be a locked box with only music. I want to be overcast, locked only podcast. I don't want there to ever be any weird, oh, I listen to this podcast on YouTube, but this is a video podcast, and then I listen to this on Spotify. I just I want to keep this nice and simple, and so I, I choose not to use it, but it, I see how it could be convenient for people to have one app, and that's what they listen to. Yeah, that's kind of where I am with Spotify, honestly, because I... I do listen to podcasts on Spotify, but I don't listen to that many. And so it's not a big deal for me to like, you know, not have full control over the speed or the skipping or stuff like that. That's not a huge deal for me. So I don't mind it because I just don't use it very much. But for somebody who uses it very much, I could see why that would bother them. So recently I've been thinking more and more about how I am listening to lots and lots of podcasts and have for years and years. I started when I was young. <laughs> That's how they get you. You're young and you, you start listening to podcasts and you add more and it never, it never ends. But mm -hmm. that has been such a big part of my listening life that based on battery information, for the last 10 days, there I've listened to 23 hours and 56 minutes of podcasts. So that means that each day, math is hard, Joe, math is hard. <laughs> each day is about 2.3-ish hours of podcasts, which is not flexing per se. I mean, that's as many hours as most people would generally be listening to music. It's just that I choose to, instead of music, generally be listening to podcasts. I've been thinking... Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Because as someone who is a musician and wants to know more artists and learn more about our different artists and appreciate the musical talent and work that goes into this and certainly have good conversations with people like Joe and other people about artists that are good to listen to, I'm kind of excluding myself from this world to some extent. I'm learning about a few new things, of course, but I my the playlist I mentioned to listen is kind of going neglected because there's always... At any given time, for me, it's more attractive to, to listen to people just talk, just like we're, we're right now. Because I really appreciate, in general, good conversation. And so not only do I like to have good conversations in life, I like to simulate good conversations at every free moment <laughs> so that I can hear other interesting people. And it's like having them in my living room or having them in my, my bedroom in a non-creepy way. It's just like, here's the smart person that's going to come, and they're going to have conversations with these other people, and it's great. But I've been thinking, is that... I feel like it could over time potentially have kind of a negative effect on my attention and a negative effect on just crowding out the good music that'd be there to listen to. I know you don't have this problem, Joe, because you mentioned that you only have a couple, but I'd be curious mm -hmm. to get, what's your opinion on this? So I don't see how it could become a negative thing personally, because I think that depending on the podcast, you might be learning something, you might be, uh, you know, hearing a different opinion, which is always healthy. Um, but 
you know, I think that there is value in being able to like listen to music and feel content, but also, I mean, it's your life. And so, <laughs> I mean, you, you get to make your own adult decisions about what you want to listen to. So like, I love music and you love music, but that doesn't mean that you have to listen to the music that I do or listen to music at all. So I don't know. I mean, explain to me why you think it could become unhealthy. Yeah, good question. Definitely. It could become unhealthy because music is not informational inherently. You listen to it, enjoy it, and then you might be singing it later, of course, but it's not really adding any information other than you your basic opinion. This is good. The drum is good. The bass is good. The bass is bad, whatever. You have basic mm-hmm. impressions of the music, but you don't. it's not dumping tons and tons of information, which is at a sped up speed at you. I think what could be the problem, there's, a different, there's definitely a difference between two hours of music and two hours of sped up podcasts because it's information, 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 information versus a more leisurely obviously you're not listening to music sped up please don't do that you're yeah. listening to it as more as the creator intended and there's not a lot of information to it you're more just humming along and, and bopping your head up and down and appreciating this the lack of information rather so it's really this question for me of i want to be i really want to have it right now it's probably 90 percent podcast 10 percent music i'd really like to have it more half and half and in a perfect world more 70 30 i think would be a healthier way to go but that being said it's just something that i've been thinking about because if I want to learn about more music, if I want to become better as a songwriter and as a drummer, I need to hear other songwriters and other drummers and really get really get more of a reper- musical repertoire going. I no, I get that. And that I'm not gonna like sit here and say that listening to music like I have isn't helpful because it absolutely is. Like there's a song by a band called Colony House called Julia, and that has very much sparked my interest because of a guitar riff that's in it. And so it inspired me to learn it. And, and, and so I've been learning it, but the point is that it's teaching me more guitar skills, um, which is useful because I want to learn how to play guitar better. Sure, building a musical repertoire is, is nice and good, but also, again, it's your life. <laughs> so it's completely up to you what you want to spend your time on. So if you feel like you're not getting enough music, then try to split it half and half, you know, or maybe that's maybe that's too much and so you do you know 60 40 podcasts to music but ultimately it's it's your decision and if you feel like it's important to you know listen to music then it is and if it's not then it's not you know that that's that's ultimately up to you i feel like i'm dodging the question but i i truly do think that because is it helpful to listen to music and and build that that resume of this sound and that sound yes but to the extent that like I would know nothing if I didn't. That's not the way it is. I think that you still can learn a lot from just lessons or books or podcasts. Listening to people talk about music is great. Anyway, that that's my opinion on the subject. Yes, as with everything in life, you're right. There's a balance for it. And yes, I will follow up more on the show as I f- find a better balance and as I find new artists and everything. That's just something that I've been thinking about, which is that I need to make this at least be 50-50 and preferably a bit more toward music. So that's something I'm thinking about and wanted to run by you more follow-up to come yes for sure and to close us out a bit one time i was this is to touch on the subject of listening to music helps give you more ideas like you mentioned with the guitar solo of course you're not ripping them off per se but you know maybe you kind of are in a sense here's this (laughs) interesting technique on the guitar here's this interesting fill on the drums you just put everything in a blender and see what sort of happens creativity creativity wise and that's really all anyone's ever has been has been doing for hundreds of years. I mean, maybe the Mayans were playing these songs on their xylophone and then that was new. But then the Egyptians remixed that and then 
so on hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of years later we've turned into rock and fusion and jazz and we're, we're going all over the place with this so really everything is a remix in life one time i was talking to luke gillespie who is a piano a jazz pianist in town and he was at the jazz festival and so i came up to him and said how how did you do this essentially how are you writing all of these songs and where are your ideas coming from because mm-hmm. that's my my first question of course when i if I'm near anyone who I think has written good music, I will immediately want to know where they get their ideas from so I can go there as well and, and get to their magical spring of knowledge and everything. <laughs> and so he actually gave me a very good answer because, of course, he's a professor. He has an answer ready to go for this. Mm. He said that to learn anything in life, and this is in the context of really anything, but all in for, for him, he was talking about writing music. You have interpretation, assimilation, and imitation. In other words, you have interpretation, which is recognizing and thinking critically about what you enjoy. Then you assimilate all of that, which is you take in all of this information over time in the form of music you like and think critically about. And then imitation, where you learn the language of the craft. So let's say I want to become a great jazz saxophonist. I would be listening to you know, music by Miles Davis and Herbie Hancock and all of the, the greats who had, had lots of solos in their albums. Mm-hmm. And then I would try to imitate it as best I could while critically thinking about it. And before long, you're imitating it and adding your own stuff. And then hopefully over time, you 99% of it is your own stuff. And only 1% of that sort of flavor of Miles Davis or whatever ends up ends up coming through. 100%. And and that's evident in, to, to use that example, uh, so, uh, you know, Stevie Wonder was an artist that was really popular, I think in the late 70s and 80s. Um, but he was influenced heavily, heavily by jazz and in one of his songs called Sir Duke, there's a lot of references to, uh, you know, it's that swing uh, swing rhythm where it's like, that thing. Yes. And there's this chromatic bass line that's very, like, reminiscent of how jazz works. And so you see that it's not always, you know, you might pull something from jazz, you might pull something from country, you might pull something from... I mean, there's a Post Malone song called I'm Going to Be that uses a minor 5-1-4 progression that I use when I'm like bored and I want to add something fun into a song. <laughs> and it's awesome. And I just, I pull all these things from different places. I think I even talked about it when we talked about reharmonization. I, I've kind of arranged my own version of uh, Amazing Grace where I've like pulled things from probably six or seven different songs and just put them underneath the melody of Amazing Grace. And so that's that imitation that you take things that you like and you put them in your own creative space and you make something cool. Um, I think that that's what all good music writing is. Yeah, at this point, we've been playing music as a species for long enough that there's not going to be much left that hasn't been covered before. So for most part, every drum fill that can be played has been played for the most part, more or less, maybe variation here or there. Every chord has been invented, good sounding chord has been invented and played. Most of the bad ones, probably by Charles Cornell, have already been played and everything. <laughs> and there's nothing new left, but the question is, how are we going to take these different elements and, and make something new with them? Not ripping anyone off, but acknowledging that here are the... Of course, we have millions and millions of elements, but here are the elements that have been used before, and let's make something new with them. Thank you, everybody out there, for tuning in tonight. Please check out our website, thecollegetrialpodcast.com. Check out our Instagram, at thecollegetryshow. If you'd like to learn more about some of the things that we have discussed, you can check out the episode show notes, as always, and they'll be right in the podcast player that you're using. If you've enjoyed the show and you know anybody else who might want to listen, be sure to send it to them. Thank you for that. And as always, we will both see you next time. Thank you again for listening. Say goodbye, Zachary. Goodbye. See you, everybody.